Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and today we continue our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. The Times Talk is a weekly current events and ideas symposium that takes place at noon Wednesdays in the Ina Dillard Russell Library on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. These events are free and open to the public, so if this discussion sparks your interest, please consider this your invitation to come out and join the conversation again at noon each Wednesday in the Georgia College Library. Now, if you go into a grocery store today, you'll see an increase in products selling a higher ideal for our own health, the plight of the American farmer, and the environmental sustainability of our food supply. Organic vegetables, artisanal cheeses, cage-free eggs, and grass-fed beef. But how far does this evolving food consciousness extend to the animals that make up a large proportion of many of the meals we consume? Here to talk to me today about the ethics of treating animals as meat is Mark Causey, a lecturer in the Philosophy and Liberal Studies Department at Georgia College. Mr. Mark Causey, welcome back to the WRGC studios. Thank you for having me. Now, in the articles that you're presenting for this Times Talk, they go into graphic detail about some parts of our agricultural industry and especially describing the ways that animals are treated as food and as the subjects of experiments in the ever-evolving food industry that's taking place. But I wanted to start really in talking about us and what we believe in the course of this conversation. I'm just going to refer to us as consumers to differentiate us from farm producers, uh, food producers, food scientists, and others. I was going to start off by asking, what is the traditional social compact that consumers have with the animals that contribute to our food supply? Well, if we go back about 10,000 years or so ago, that's when domestication as we know it first began. You refer to it as a compact that we have with the animals, but of course that's really a one-way compact. This is something we did to the animals, possibly with the exception of our dogs who sort of domesticated us. We domesticated those animals, we corralled them and bred them specifically for food purposes probably because we figured out it was easier to catch them if they were pinned up than going out and hunting them in the wild. So a little over 10,000 years ago, we began this domestication process. And in a lot of Indo-European languages, the word for cattle is the same as the word for wealth. And so very quickly, livestock, especially cattle in European societies, became symbols of wealth. How many head of cattle you had was your capital. Those words are related. Since then, we've progressively sort of commodified these animal bodies, and the emphasis uh, certainly now is on how can we breed them faster and cheaper and breed more of them as human population grows and as demand for cheap animal products uh, goes. 
you have to breed them very quickly and very inexpensively in order to make this industry work. So animal welfare, unfortunately, gets sort of put on the back burner of that in the drive for profit and the drive for providing consumers cheap, cheap meat and other sorts of animal products. Because we don't really pay the fair price really for the cost of of production unless you go out of your way to do some of the more quote-unquote humane uh, sort of production methods that you can get like at Whole Foods and places like that. But then you notice a very steep increase in the price tag that comes with those. As we talk about this relationship, are we just the, the general everyday consumer, are we having a holistic conversation about all of the inputs and considerations that are going on into our food industry? Because when I think about my own consumer behavior, you know, really, it is a very commodified situation, which I just, you know, I go out to the grocery store, I choose from my products and just go back in. The only exchange is basically the changing of money, whatever decisions I make therein. I don't really right. think about how large of an, an industry this is, or especially not the different components of it um, in any way, shape, or form. Right. I would say that what characterizes sort of our modern relationship with our food in general, animal food, but even vegetables and fruits and everything, for the large part of us is sort of a disconnect really between the consumer and where our food comes from. Unless you are a farmer or live in a rural community where you know farmers, or you shop at our local farmer's market where you get to know some farmers. Most of us, it is just simply an exchange. You go into Walmart, you go into Kroger, everything's there labeled, neatly packaged. And especially when it comes to animal body parts, we don't even associate the steak or the chicken breast that we're buying anymore with a living animal because most of us don't kill our own animals. Most of us don't raise our own animals. So we... Unlike our sort of forebearers who who grew the animals themselves and then had to kill them themselves and all of that, we're sort of disconnected from the whole process of what it took to get this animal to adulthood, to market weight, so-called, and then to slaughter this animal for our meat. All of that happens behind the scenes. We show up at Kroger, and it's all in a nice little styrofoam packet with wrapped in cellophane and all of that. So we're so totally disconnected from this animal life that provided this piece of meat for us. And chicken is the number one agricultural export of the state of Georgia. Actually, most people think of us as the peach state, but we're actually the dead chicken state. And what are some of the effects of that disconnect? Well, that disconnect, I think, leads us to sort of consume animal products without thinking about sort of the ethical component of something had to give its life for me to be able to eat this product. And we're sort of cut off from the pain and suffering that on the animal's part that goes into the production of this thing that we are now eating. So we don't even sort of have to think about, it doesn't even raise sort of the ethical question for us because eating, we don't even sort of consider an ethical activity anymore. And so if you put the animal sort of back into the equation, then you have to ask yourself, is the pleasure that I'm getting out of eating this piece of chicken worth the pain and suffering and death of the chicken who had to die in order for me to be able to eat this chicken breast? And that's an ethical question. 
that doesn't even get raised if you don't think of that piece of chicken as belonging to another body, another, I would use the word person. So that, that sort of disconnect, it also allows the industry to do a lot of things that many of us would find objectionable if we actually knew about them. The old saying is, you know, if slaughterhouses had glass walls, we would all be vegetarian. There's a lot of things that go on in both the production of animal bodies for consumption and in the slaughter process of those animals that many people, if we were fully aware of those practices and the suffering that is involved for both the workers in those places and the animals that go through them, I think would find it far more objectionable. But because all of that is sort of hidden and out of sight, out of mind, it takes away that sort of ethical decision-making or ethical responsibility uh, that we have. You can't make an ethical choice if you don't realize there's a choice there to be made. And most of us don't, don't think of this as a choice in that sense. Well, we're going to delve deeper into this choice and some of the ethical considerations wrapped up in it. But right now, we're going to take a very short break. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we're renewing our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. Of course, the Times Talk takes place at noon each Wednesday in the Georgia College Library. So if this is a conversation that speaks to you and maybe you would like to join in it, please consider coming out at noon Wednesdays to the Georgia College Library. Today, we're talking about the ethics of treating animals as meat. I'm joined in the studio by Mark Causey, a lecturer in the Philosophy and Liberal Studies Department at Georgia College. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. We're having another of our Times Talk conversations today. Times Talk, of course, is a program put on by the American Democracy Project at Georgia College in which they talk about current events and ideas every Wednesday at noon in the Georgia College Library. Today, we're talking about the ethics of treating animals as meat. I'm joined in the studio today by Mark Causey, a lecturer in the Philosophy and Liberal Studies Department at Georgia College. Now, in that last segment, we were talking about the food industry and the ethical concerns we have as we've evolved from an agrarian society to the modern society that we have today. So as we've evolved our society to the point where we're no longer just concerned about growing and producing all the food that we need to feed our large society, what is the evolution in the ethical questions that we have about this kind of industrial food complex? Well, I think there is a sort of growing awareness on the part of some consumers about uh, some of these issues. We've had now, you know, decades of like animal rights activists and other people who have been 
showing us what is happening behind the scenes. There have been lots of investigations into especially large-scale animal industry that has consistently revealed patterns of neglect and abuse on a pretty horrific scale. So now I think the meat industry is sort of facing two two basic demands or two sort of different ways that people are approaching this. There's sort of a growing demand, I think, for more humane treatment of animals. And there are certification processes now that have been developed to label some food products as humanely raised or humane certified uh, sort of things. Whole Foods has, I think, like a five different star rating scale on humane production on the other hand, there is a growing uh, sort of movement or trend towards vegetarianism and veganism that has definitely caught the industry's attention. Many of the large producers are also diversifying into alternatives, alternative meat products, alternative dairy products, soy milks, almond milks, all of those kinds of things. Adeen Foods, one of the largest, being a good example of that. So I think they're faced with sort of two demands that either if we're going to continue using animals or meat and for animal products, we need to treat them better. And the consumer wants some sort of assurance that this is happening, which is why people are willing to pay a little more for cage-free eggs or humane certified beef or whatever. Or there are also people who are just saying, you know, I don't want to participate in this at all and are opting out towards veganism and vegetarianism. And so the meat industry, I think, is sort of trying to now hedge their bets and diversify to, to cover those two sort of developing trends that they're watching now in consumer behavior. And within this conversation, have we moved beyond the point where there is still a concern about a growing population of our, of our planet and the ability to produce food to feed all of them? And therefore, we're moving into these concerns about I guess, the way that we treat both the animals and also the, the people who are in the industry producing the food? Or is it a case where we still have some of these considerations about just the, um, I guess, volume of food that we're bringing to market, bringing to uh, feed the people? Yeah, the ironic part of this is that with the world population growing estimated to be about 9 billion people by 2020, there is no way that we're going to feed the world's population on an American-style diet that is so heavy in meat and animal products because all of those products are very, very resource-intensive. They're land-intensive. They're grain-intensive. They're water-intensive. They have all kinds of environmental impacts in terms of waste and methane production, which is a potent global warming uh, a greenhouse gas. And so I think eventually the shift is going to actually have to be towards more vegetarianism and veganism. Just if you're going to feed 9 billion people, 10 billion people on this planet, it's not going to be possible to do under current uh, production methods for animal agriculture. Right now, the I would say sort of the main driving force behind sort of factory farming and intensive animal farming is really probably more meeting consumer demand, again, for sort of lower-priced and affordable meat products. Not that long ago, even in our country, eating meat was sort of not an everyday occurrence. It was sort of a special Sunday lunch or a special occasion when you ate at least lots of meat. Now many of us are eating, like, meat three times, four times a day, 
partly because it's so available, partly because it's so cheap, because it's subsidized by the government. And so that level of consumption has forced a sort of the necessity to find uh, ways to breed more intensively and cheaper, which has been to the detriment both of the workers in this industry and the animals, obviously, themselves. And does that pursuit in itself bring any new ethical concerns that need to be addressed as our science maybe outstrips our ability to ethically think about the product of that science? I would certainly say that it does. Part of what's happening in these Times articles is a USDA research facility that's trying to increase the productivity of cows and pigs, especially where cows usually have just one calf at a time, rarely twins. They're trying to make them more consistently have twins or even triplets, which is having all kinds of effects in terms of birth defects and high mortality rates of those calves, plus the mortality rates of the mothers. And so as things become possible that weren't possible before because of different sorts of interventions now, genetic interventions that we can do now in animals, it's creating sort of more of those kinds of questions that just because we can do it doesn't mean necessarily we should be doing it, especially if you're going to at all give any consideration to the suffering of the animal themselves, which has not always been the case. We have a long tradition in the West, going back all the way to Descartes, that basically considered animals as machines or as automatons and sort of discounted the whole idea of animals being able to suffer. But the more that we have studied and the more we have asked the question about animal suffering, the more we find out how cognitively complex these beings are and how much they are able to suffer, not only physical pain, but even psychological sorts of pain and trauma. So the more we're learning about that just raises that question of do we have to take that suffering into consideration? Do we have to offset our pleasure in having these cheap animal products with the pain and suffering being caused to these other living beings? And that's a whole different conversation. Well, I believe that will be part of the conversation that we'll have in our next segment. Um, at this time, we are going to take another break right now. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. We're having another of our Times Talk conversations. If you're enjoying this conversation or have a part that you would like to add to it, please consider joining us at noon Wednesday in the Georgia College Library. We're talking today about the ethics of treating animals as meat. I'm joined in the studio by Mark Causey, a lecturer in the Philosophy and Liberal Studies Department at Georgia College. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. 
This conversation today is a part of our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. If you are enjoying our conversation today and want to be a part of it, please consider this your invitation to come out at noon Wednesdays to the Georgia College Library for the Times Talk live event. In this Times Talk conversation, we're talking about the ethics of treating animals as meat. I'm joined in the studio by Mark Causey, a lecturer in the Philosophy and Liberal Studies Department at Georgia College. In this segment, um, before we get started about talking more about the ethical considerations of treating animals as meat, I wanted to make sure that we talked about, is there a legal framework in which these decisions about the food and agricultural industries are made? Are there any guiding principles put out by our government or perhaps any international agreements with which the food industry must adhere to? There is a sort of minimal legal framework. There is a an Animal Welfare Act that gives some minimal protection to uh, farmed animals, but by and large, farmed animals are exempted from most of the kinds of anti-cruelty laws that would apply to your dog or your cat because they're farmed animals. And so there was a specific sort of loophole written in for farmed animals and for laboratory animals that basically says that as long as the treatment in question is sort of standard industry practice, so castrating male pigs without any anesthetic or dehorning cattle without any anesthetic and other sorts of things that, that do cause the animal a lot of pain and, and distress, are specifically exempted from those sorts of anti-cruelty statutes because this is standard industry practice. So as long as most farmers do this, it's fine, is what the legal framework says. There is a Humane Slaughter Act that says that animals need to be rendered somewhat insensate before slaughter, but that's far more sort of in theory than in practice. And again, there are very large loopholes that allow all kinds of uh, alternative practices or none at all to take place. So in this situation is further exacerbated as, as we look to the articles that you're presenting when we try to meet the demands of consumer choice, but also the um, uh, growing population and the needs to feed them. There are further carve outs into that um, Animal Welfare Act when trying to, I guess, evolve these animals as sources of food. Yes, because those animals at that research center are considered laboratory animals. They are exempted from most all of the sort of protections that would be afforded them if they were just regular farmed animals on somebody's farm because they are at a USDA laboratory. They have a completely different sort of legal designation, which basically means that there is practically no limit to what can be done to them. And so I want to return to uh, the thoughts that we're having as we left into that last break and ask you, what do we as, as citizens of this modern society have to gain or lose when we begin to consider the suffering and pain that we cause animals in the search of our nutrition in our society and our society's needs as far as food is concerned? To me, I think the biggest issue here is sort of what I would call sort of moral consistency. Most of us, uh, and they've done polls to this effect, most of us say that we are against cruelty to animals, that unnecessary suffering is a bad thing and we're against cruelty to animals. Yet, behaviorally, our food choices are causing a lot of pain and harm to animals. 
Human beings do not have to eat animals or animal products to get adequate nutrition. Actually, there's a growing body of uh, medical literature saying that it might actually be detrimental to our health to be eating uh, animal products. We can get all of the sort of nutritional needs we need met uh, without eating animals. So causing them that harm is really sort of a choice on our part. This is not, for most of us, a necessity to cause this harm. So we have a sort of moral disconnect between saying we're against causing unnecessary harm yet doing that. And so raising this as an issue allows you to realize I actually have a choice here and I could act on the principles that I say that I espouse ethically and choose not to participate in this process that is creating this sort of pain and suffering because it is really for most of us, if we're honest, it's just sort of a taste preference or convenience preference rather than an actual, certainly people living in urban areas that have access to fruits and vegetables and other products. It's really sort of a habit that we grew up eating meat. Everybody we know eats meat. I don't really think about it. I just do it or it's I like the taste of it, uh, but then you're weighing sort of a pleasure on my part versus the life and suffering of an animal. So it's sort of a making a choice that's not a necessary choice for me, it's just one for my pleasure or convenience, and that becomes a little harder to justify, I think, causing another sentient being pain and harm and even costing them their lives for sort of a momentary pleasure that I get out of eating this product. And of course, sentient being a, a being that's able to have feelings. Yes, a, a being that's able to feel pain and pleasure and has preferences not to be in pain clearly demonstrates a preference to not be in pain and not be afraid and not be mistreated just like our dogs and cats, you know, demonstrate. Causing that being pain that is unnecessary is a completely sort of different ethical category than doing this out of necessity. You know, if, if a tiger is attacking you and you kill the tiger in self-defense, that's one thing. If you have no other way of meeting your nutritional needs than killing and eating this animal, that's a different sort of moral situation when it's one that I just happen to prefer the taste of this chicken's flesh, so I'm going to kill this chicken and cause them pain and cost them their lives just so I can have this sort of palate pleasure, that's a different sort of ethical question and a different sort of justification I think is needed in that case. We're just about out of time in our program today, and so it is time for the perennial last Times Talk question. What do you hope your audience takes away from this Times Talk conversation? What I really want them to take away uh, more than anything is just the realization, first of all, that this is a choice that I have, right? And to make that sort of connection between animal products and a living sentient being that had to die or suffer in order to provide that product. And so raising that as an, an actual ethical question they can ask themselves and then act on because you can't really make an informed decision unless you have the information, unless you realize there's a decision to be made here, you can't really make a decision. So if I can just raise that awareness and raise the question, that's, that's the goal of doing the Times Talk. 
Well, it is a very thought-provoking question, and I hope that people will look beyond the way that they've always done things and uh, the way that uh, they've always approached each meal of their life and consider you know, this question about how we treat these other living and breathing, I would have to say organisms and animals, uh, much like ourselves, in our just choice about how we sustain our life. Barkasi, thank you very much for bringing this thought-provoking conversation to our radio audience. Thank you for having me. It has been my pleasure. You've been listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we convened another in our series of collaborations with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to our radio audience. Of course, I invite you to come out each Wednesday at noon in the Georgia College Library to join in this conversation as well as many others that we have throughout each semester on the campus of Georgia College through the Times Talk. Today, we were talking about the ethics of treating animals as meat. I was joined in the studio by Mark Causey, a lecturer in the Philosophy and Liberal Studies Department at Georgia College. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It's been my pleasure spending a portion of this evening with you here on Georgia College Connections, and I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.